back at it here on the fan. It is afternoon drive. Oh no. Hold on. Hold on. Don't know why I said that. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterwin. That was weird. I got my own show name wrong. Well, on my own show. <sighs> Banner moment. Domina, go ahead. Go ahead. I got nobody else to rip me. James, you want to get in there on that one? I didn't even dump it. I could have dumped it, and then it would have all gone away, and nobody would have any record of it. But I had to own that one because it was so egregious. It was so egregiously bad, I had to own that one. Where did I get afternoon drive from? JP, I just want you to know, I love you like a brother, but this is for you. Yeah. that boo that man boo that man it's okay it's not a big deal <laughs> I mean, it's really not a big deal i just I, I i shocked myself in that one was all that was i was like wait a second what happened i no clue you know nope in, inexcusable no idea no clue all right we're gonna get to uh, whether or not you trust the browns coming up in a second or two i did want to uh, tell you guys though we have a lot of different guests coming up all throughout the week they're going to be in uh, they're in Las Vegas right now. I have all sorts of friends uh, everywhere that are uh, a buddy of mine. You know, Alex Gold is in Kansas City, and he's already in Vegas. And he's posting on Facebook his different uh, adventures that he's had and all this different type of stuff. And our buddy Sean Pendergast, who does radio in Houston, he's posting his adventures. And, and Sean posted something. Because, you know, again, it's it's one of those things. It's like I'm, I'm friends with a lot of radio people. And so they're all posting right now, like them being in Vegas, getting there for the big game and experiencing Las Vegas. Now, I've been to Vegas a decent amount. I love Vegas. Vegas is one of my favorite cities in, I think, the country, which would put it in the world for me because I don't go too often outside of the country. So I would power rank my favorite cities. I think Vegas hits the top five easily. I love it. Me and my wife, we both love it. Anytime we go, she has a great time. There's something for everybody, right? I love the gambling side of it. She loves the show side of it. There's golf. There's good nightlife stuff. And it's just, I don't know, everyone's in a good mood for the most part. I love Vegas. The food is incredible in Vegas, too. Very underrated part of food. But but so Sean put out this tweet, and it was of a it was a vending machine that creates pizza as you order it so it's a a vending machine you can go up to the vending machine and you can be like i want a large pepperoni and then it'll just hit the large pepperoni you pay for it and then out comes a large pepperoni pizza after it takes the amount of time for the machine to make it right in front of you right there you don't see the machine make it though and the other machine he put out there was a it was a cake one and I've seen videos on TikTok about the cake one. I've actually been to Vegas and have seen the cake one myself, so I'm less impressed by that. That's just some guy comes around, he puts different cakes in there every morning, and then at the end of the day, they come back around, they take the cake out that wasn't sold, and then, you know, they do with whatever they need to do with it, right? Well, that's, that's less impressive to me. The on-the-spot vending machine pizza, though. Dominic, James, I need your input on this one. Would you guys try the on-the-spot Pizza vending machine, or is that just a little bit too much? No, sir. That is just a little too far for me. I don't right? know about that one. I, something about the vending machine side of it, just I just don't trust. I don't know why. If you told me to go up to a pizza stand and I didn't watch anyone take my money or anything, and it was all Apple Pay, and I did like the touch technology, and then a pizza just kind of like popped out in front of me, I wouldn't really think much of it. But the fact that it's a vending machine, I don't know. I didn't love it. Some things for automation are great. Uh, when preparing my food, I would prefer a human to go ahead and do that from beginning to end. Right? How old is that dough? 
How old's the sauce? How old is the pepperoni slice? I have no idea about any of that. What's the quality control look like on a vending machine pizza? Are we actually even doing quality control? Does the does the FDA pop in? Do they have to like uh, approve any of this? I and on top of it, you know, vending machine pizza prices because it's a novelty thing at this point has got to be like double the amount of any other pizza you normally buy. You know, like when pizzas are really really hot once they come out the oven. When it comes out the vending machine, it's going to be on fire. It'll be the hottest pizza you've ever had. No way you could blow that to be able to get you a little quick little bite. Ooh, and it's like the it's like when you have uh, I don't know why. Why is it that anytime you make oven pizza, the frozen pizzas, you always burn the top of your tongue? Why why is that happen? But it never happens when I order you know regular pizza from a restaurant. Because by the time you get it home, you've had about fifteen minutes to let it cool off. Is that what that is? Yeah. We had we uh, we Uber Eats. A week ago, Master Pizza. You know, they're friends of the station. We did Master Pizza. And, you know, when you Uber Eats, it just it takes a long time to get there, right? And the Uber Eats driver was just not finding it. I hate doing Uber Eats. I never do it. My family over, and no one wanted to go get in the car to go get it, so we Uber Eats it. And, or DoorDash. We did one of them, one of the services, right? I don't remember which one. And it just took a little bit longer than we would have liked. And we got it, and it was like, oh, yeah, this is different. This is different than when you get it right out of the right out of the oven and then you get it going. It's still great because Master Pizza's great, but it was one of those things like it, it's a night and day thing. But you never burn you only burn the top of your tongue on the fresh out of the oven oven pizza. You're probably doing that with the vending machine one as well. All right, what do you got on this, Dominic? I've 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 had pizza at a bowling alley. I've had I've had pizza in in places whoa, you whoa, shouldn't have whoa. a pizza. Don't but make fun of bowling alley pizza. No, I'm not. Oh, I've done it once. I'll do it twice. man that grew up in a bowling alley, please don't make fun of bowling no, alley no, no. pizza. I'm, I'm just saying when it comes to the bowling standards alley, of pizza. Bowling alley chicken fingers are always awesome. Nobody can tell me otherwise. My favorite chicken finger in the world is always found at a bowling alley. One of those old school AMF bowling alleys. I don't even know if they exist anymore. I think they're bought all by now. Bolero is what they're called. Best chicken fingers in the game. Listen, JP. I'm just saying. I, I've uh, when it comes to the quality of pizza, those are pretty low, right? But I'll do it again. It's, you're like green eggs and ham. I'll eat it. Uh, I'll eat it up there. I'll eat it anywhere. I'll eat it on a plane. I'll eat it on the train. Yeah, exactly. I'll right. I'll eat it in the car. Uh, <laughs> I will. But but as I've gotten older, I've gotten picky, right? I like my Sicilian, my grandma type pizza, right? I will. Oh, you not, like fancy pizza? No, it's just thicker. More more oil in it. It's what my grandma had made growing up and what she still makes. Okay. That's besides the point. I would not do this. This feels gross to me. It feels unsanitary. I like I, I want to walk into the pizzeria and then there's an Italian television set on. I don't get this experience if I'm just clicking a bunch of buttons and a cold pizza comes out you of the You go to a lot machine. of pizzerias where there's like the Sopranos on TV or what's going on? No, it's like it's like daytime television in Italy. Back home we have a place that knows. Like when you go to the Mexican us. joints and it's like yeah, uh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, what was that show? Uh, Sabado Domingo or something like that. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, there was one show uh, that was always it was just called Caliente. Uh, growing up, it was it was called Caliente, and it was just uh, it was just as scantily clad a women as you could find. And I, as like a seven year old, I tried convincing my dad one day that I just I was really I wanted to learn Spanish. I'm like, Dad, I just, I really, I want to learn, I want to learn some Espanol. It's going to be really good. My, one of my very best friends growing up uh, was uh, Mexican, right? And so I'm like, my buddy Dave Ramirez, I'm there over at his house every single day, and I was. And I was like, I just, I want to learn Spanish to fit in. He looked at the TV for three seconds and was like, that is not what you're doing right now. You do not, it's a bold-faced lie. And I'm like, it's caliente. You don't, don't take this away from me. It's caliente. All right, so the point is you wouldn't do it. All right, no. I, I got a feeling I wouldn't pay a lot of money for it. That's all I'll say about that. I'm I'm surprised. 
Uh, I'm surprised that it exists. I shouldn't be. I'm surprised that it exists. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. All right, I, I want to ask you guys whether or not you trust the Browns. And I guess I need to know what the context is for the question, really. Ken and Danny earlier today, they got in a, a conversation about whether or not you just trust the Browns. Do I trust them to not completely fall flat on their face? Yes, yes, I do. The way they're set up right now, it feels almost impossible to have the smart people they have, the resources that they've been afforded, and just fail that badly. They were the most money spent in the NFL last year, and it was not by a considerably close margin. In a capped league, they're spending more than anyone by a lot. They have advantages that other teams just don't have. If, if I were actually trying to build out a case against Andrew Barry, and I'm not, I like Andrew Barry, it would start with the idea that he's been able to spend more money last year than anybody else in the league by a good margin. And technically, technically, we finished fifth in our league, in our conference. Spend the most money you probably we should have had a little bit better every year. Just saying. I'm not holding that against Andrew Barry. I'm not. But they have advantages is the point. You don't see teams that spend the amount of money the Browns have and and really push the amount of money that they have into future years so you have really talented players that you're paying pennies on the dollar while still spending more money than anybody. I trust this team to win games. I don't think I trust them to win big, though, and that's where the difference lies for me. I think they're in good hands. It doesn't mean everything's going to work out great, though. Trusting the Browns is not hard. It's just what we're asking what exactly are we asking them to do? I would trust friends in my life to watch my kid for a couple of hours. Doesn't mean I would trust them to watch her for three straight days. I think we in sports, we as sports fans, I think we buy into the dysfunction a little bit too much. I think this is where a lot of this stemmed from as well. It's like, well, do you trust the Browns? Well, ultimately, do you think they're dysfunctional or not? And I, I disagree with that premise. I disagree with it on the idea that I, I think a lot of times we convince ourselves that if you're dysfunction-free, then you're automatically going to be a good team. Look at some of the best teams we've had in sports history. MJ punched teammates and feuded with ownership and management all the time. They made a 10-part documentary about what a dysfunctional teammate he was. The Warriors had more dysfunction in their dynasty with Draymond Green alone than anyone's ever supposed to have. Teammates punching him, him going on podcasts and yelling about different things. I mean, it was Draymond alone was dysfunctional enough for everyone. Shaq and Kobe hated each other. In football, Brady and Belichick fought more than any head coach player duo for power over the final years than anyone I can remember. I know Alex Guerrero's name, and I shouldn't know his name. That's how I know Brady Belichick feuded a ton. He was the TB12 guy. One that they argued about whether or not he could be along and with the team on plane flights, on sideline passes. And ultimately, Brady got his wish granted until he didn't. And it caused a big rift between Brady and Belichick. Once they took Alex Guerrero away, you knew Brady was going to Tampa. Dysfunction's inevitable. You wildly popular athletes making more money than anyone can spend in a lifetime, and they all have egos the size of the Grand Canyon. You have to expect it. It's good that the Browns have cleaned up some of the problems, but one door closes, another is going to open. Too many players involved with too much money and too much fame. The dysfunction is coming one way or another, and I'm sure a lot more of it happened this year that we don't even know about. There is one incident that I have on good authority 
that the public believes one thing happened and the reality was completely different. Okay? Now, you just have to trust me on this because we're friends, and this is how this works. You guys have known me long enough. You've known me seven and a half years. You have watched me come from a a punk 27-year-old that didn't know the world at all uh, to a 34-year-old with a child, with a mortgage, a wife, and a responsible, living, breathing adult, okay? Like, I, I'm the epitome of an adult, all right? We've done a good job in growing up in a short amount of time, but you've been there when I've been I've been growing up the entire way. Hell, you guys probably remember if you go back long enough with me when I used to tell stories about me going on, like, Tinder dates and such like that or, or Bumble dates. Like, it's been a long trip, me and you. So you guys got to trust me on this one. Trust that I wouldn't lie to you. I don't make up stories. You know that. But the reality is there's a there was a story this year that the public believes one thing when it came to the Browns, and it's completely different than what actually happened, okay? Completely different. And don't text me. I'm not going to tell you the answer to it. That's not what's going to happen. But I think they've done a good job of covering things up. You can only cover things up for so long, though. And I just, when you talk about dysfunction or not dysfunction, that's great. You put lipstick on the pig, so we all believe that it was pretty. I'm happy about that development, but I don't know how long it can last. And if you get to be a really, really good team, you can't just yell, I'm dysfunctional free, when the majority of dynasties and good teams that we've seen in the sports world all have a tinge, if not more, of dysfunction. Patrick Mahomes himself might not be dysfunctional. His dad earlier today, and he's not responsible for his dad, but his dad earlier today got uh, charged with allegedly his third D-dub. He's going to be facing prison time potentially. His dad, his wife, his brother all bring a lot of drama. This stuff just happens. It happens with really good teams. We've gone over the list. It just happens. So I can't use dysfunction as the measurement of whether or not I trust the Browns. I saw a lot of people earlier today trying to bring up dysfunction and, and us being dysfunction-free as a way of judging this Browns team. For me, it won't be that. I got to go off of whether or not I trust this Browns team in how, when they make the moves that I want them to make, or they make the, the football moves that they make, do I think this was a good move? Do I think this was a bad move? Austin Hooper paying him as a top-five tight end? Bad move. Getting Amari Cooper from the Cowboys for a song? Great move. These are the type of things I need to judge them on. And in those type of things, I trust them. 216474-92. Do you trust the Browns? We'll get to what Roger Goodell had to say at the podium earlier today. That'll happen in 20 minutes. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterwin here with you on the fan. All righty, back in here on the fan. It is overtime with Jonathan Peterwin. Glad you guys be with me here. Nailed it. Nailed it. You know, sometimes when I make a mistake and I'll be like, uh, I'll say like CBS Sports Radio or I'll be on CBS Sports Radio and I'll say on 92.3 The Fan or something like that. That one makes more sense. Other times, it just doesn't make any sense. All right. Back at it here, though. And right now I'm asking you guys whether or not you trust the Browns. And I, I mean, listen, I think trust can be a couple different things. And I, I, the context for me within the question, do I trust them to not completely fall flat on their face? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Do I trust them to go deep into the postseason? No, I don't really trust them on that. Not at the current moment. And and that's okay. That's fine. They can earn my trust. But I trust that they know what they're doing, and I think that's one of the bigger developments around the Browns. I am happy they're no longer a 24-7 fire hose of drama. That is an accomplishment. But let's not think this is going to get any easier as we continue to move forward. 
Miles Garrett is someone I think about in these type of discussions since he'd be proof positive that winning does cure a lot. When everything is good in Whoville, he's a great, great teammate. When it isn't, then he brings some drama with him. But he's the exception more than the rule. Most people get large amounts of success and drama follows them everywhere. So I bring up Patrick Mahomes. Large amount of success, and all of a sudden, it's not just whether or not Patrick Mahomes is doing things right. we got to worry about his dad, who was in the news today, his wife, who was constantly in the news, his brother, who was in the in the news way more than all the other two combined, and not for good reasons. Like, I mean, it's just one of those things. Dysfunction, I think, comes and goes, and I think there's a lot of really good teams that are just fully dysfunctional disco. It happens. MJ, Shaq and Kobe, on and on the list goes. A lot of different really good teams that were really dysfunctional. So I can't use dysfunctional as whether or not I judge if I can trust this team or not. I look at this team and I think about I trust this team when it comes to the idea that they know what they're doing and they're in good hands. Paying Austin Hooper as a top-five tight end was dumb from Jump Street. The Amari Cooper deal, universally, everyone in the NFL was like, oh, boy, Jerry Jones just got fleeced. Jerry just did not see what happened to him. They robbed him in broad daylight. Uh, Way to go, Browns. Good job on that one. Amari Cooper, every quarterback he's been with, he's gotten 1,100 yards, seven, eight touchdowns every single season. You might as well sharpie him in for a large volume of not only targets, but receptions, touchdowns, the everything. And he did it. And he's done it so far here in Cleveland. That was universally a great move. And I feel like they do those type of moves more than the other moves that I'm bringing up. And that's really all I want to see out of this Browns team. Do you make better moves consistently than what a lot of people would give you credit for? You don't, I just, the only problem I have in this type of discussion, whether I trust them or not, is that I trust them to not be stupid. I trust them to not to not fall flat on their face. I don't know if I trust them to get out of what Tom in secession calls the endless middle. The endless middle is that spot in sports where you are you are basically stuck in sports purgatory, which is just you might as well be sports hell. It's not great. You are you are in that spot where as good as you are, you're not good enough to win anything of substance and you're not bad enough to tank in order to get the requisite pieces, in order to find yourself in a situation where you can get better to go to that deep postseason run. I think the Browns might be in that endless middle right now. Until Deshaun Watson goes back into being old Deshaun Watson, I'm worried that's kind of where we're at. And I've always said to you guys, you got to crawl to walk to run. I don't want to be the dog chasing the car that he won't ever catch, so it might be too early. It's not a a simple snap of the fingers to get this thing headed in the right direction. It's early to say they're stuck in the endless middle. But what we'll judge this Browns team on is whether or not they can ascend to higher heights. I think they looked around and they recognized that if you don't make changes and drastic changes, then you can't expect drastic and different results. I like that they're recognizing that right now, they need to do something, and they're not trying to spit shine this past year the way that we all did. How first hour, Odyssey Rewind, go back and talk about it. One of the things we discussed in talking about the Ken Dorsey hire and what happened today was the idea that they didn't. nobody asked them to make these changes. Nobody said, hey, Browns, you have to be held accountable. you got to make this move. you got to do something different with the offensive coordinator. Nobody asked this of them. All we asked them to do was run it back, essentially. 
Kind of like how, you know, the, the Cavs last year, they lost to the Knicks in the series. And we asked for some changes. I was not the only one sitting there saying you can't just lose in the first round and run it all back. And all they did was essentially they they, they got Niang and they got Max Struess and they said, we're running it back. We're like, don't run it back. They're like, we're running it back. We're like, don't run it back. We're running it back. Okay, fine. They're running it back. The Browns, we were fine if they ran it back. That's the most confusing part of all this. We were perfectly fine if they had just said, yeah, this is what we want to do. We we want it. This is the game that we've decided we want to play. We like Alex Van Pelt. We like what this offense is. We want to run it back. We would have been like, okay, yeah, you guys won 11 games with five different quarterbacks. You had your running back that is a future Hall of Famer get injured. You had your offensive line crumble into pieces. And you still found a way to get thrown in the deep end of the pool and not drown. Sure. If that's what you decide, they had carte blanche from the fans' perspective and from the media perspective when it came to what they were willing to do and what they should do this offseason. Like, they could have done anything. And instead, they're like, we got we to drastically overhaul this thing. We got we to change it up about, about as much as we can offensively. The only thing they didn't change was firing Kevin Stefanski. That's why sometimes, you know, I heard Daryl earlier this morning. Daryl was making the suggestion that Stefanski and Andrew Barry are going to get extended this offseason. I've told you guys in the past, not my money. I don't really care. That's like a not my circus, not my monkey type situation. It's not my money. If Haslam wants to spend it, okay, fine. Haslam spent $20 million to upgrade the UH Sports Complex a couple months ago. If he wants to spend $20 million to make sure that Kevin Stefanski only stays at private suites for the rest of his life and never has to go to a, uh, you know, a regular hotel, then okay, fine. If he wants to guarantee that Stefanski's kids' kids drive Lambos, okay, fine. I'm not going to begrudge him for it. He's got the money to make that decision if he wants to. But from a pure, like, do they love him enough perspective, I don't know that that answer is as simple. I really don't. Because I think if we're learning anything about this Browns team, and if we've ever learned it before, they will make moves if they feel like they need to make moves. And I don't know. We used to always put that at the feet of Haslam. I don't know if we should start to put that at the feet of Deep Podesta. You know? Deep Podesta, hundreds of miles away in San Diego, I don't know that he's got the right pulse on what exactly everyone is clamoring for. Let's put it that way. Because I don't know anybody that was clamoring for Alex Van Pelt to lose his job. We knew the offense could be better. And I'm giving them credit. I am. I'm not trying to rip anyone in particular here. I'm giving them credit. They recognize that what they saw wasn't good enough. But it's really hard to make those moves when nobody's asking for anyone to be making those moves. I mean, there's not a great apples-to-apples comparison to it all. There really isn't. Because usually when they make firings, it's because the, you know, the crowd is restless, so to speak. The, 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 the people that want something to happen are typically leading the charge. Like in Pittsburgh, for instance, they want Mike Tomlin fired. At least some people do. And so they've been talking about it for three years from, uh, you know, three years. If Mike Tomlin got fired tomorrow, maybe half of Pittsburgh's upset. Maybe they're not. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those type situations where it wouldn't, it wouldn't catch anybody by surprise. This caught a lot of people by surprise, these moves. But ultimately, I do trust this Browns team, and I trust what they're building, and I trust what they're doing. Part of how I know that I can trust them is the hiring of a new offensive coordinator. I don't know that I necessarily love it or necessarily uh, appreciate what Ken Dorsey brings to the table. 
And I talked a lot about that in the first hour. But recognizing that they needed a drastic change and something needed to be different and then doing something about it, I think, is the sign of a good franchise. We know the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. How many years could you run back the same exact offensive identity with Deshaun Watson and expect to get some different results? That's what I think they were going for. It's not independently that they think Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt together didn't work. I don't believe that's what they thought. I think what they thought was that Alex Van Pelt was part of the machine that wasn't able to get Deshaun Watson to be at his apex. And I know Deshaun didn't get to play in a lot of games this year, so maybe he would have gotten there. I tend to think he would have. I really do. But that's not their concern right now. Their concern is the data they have and what they currently have. I could tell them until they're blue in the face. I thought Deshaun played his three best games in a Browns uniform the last three games that we saw him play, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I could also bring up what happened with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, where for the first five games, Baltimore was 3-2, and two, and Lamar looked fine. He didn't look great. He looked fine. New offensive coordinator. They had Zay Flowers in there, OBJ, Nelson Aguilar, creating a new offense. And five games in, which is the same amount of time Deshaun Watson got, five games, they're like, okay, we're building it. Don't worry. The offense is going to come. The offense will get better, and the offense will come. And then what happened? You fast forward, and they're playing in the AFC title game. They won 13 games, and Lamar's going to win the league MVP. Now, he choked in the postseason. There's no denying that. But Lamar was unquestionably awesome. Five games. He got five games. And people were starting to say to themselves, oh, maybe this offensive coordinator thing, no, 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 no. It'll come. It'll be all right. You got to let him grow. Browns made these moves without really giving Deshaun enough time this season to find out whether or not they needed to make that drastic change. I think they were getting ahead of themselves so that if next year doesn't go particularly well, then they could say, hey, we tried. We tried in every direction we possibly could have. But I do. I wonder what would have happened. Honestly, I do. I wonder. All right, two one six four seven four to below ninety two. I got a lot of different Roger Goodell clips I want to play for you guys uh, because Goodell spoke earlier today. He had his State of the Union, and uh, I, so I want to play this one, and then I, I'm going to get this one out of the way right away. Okay, this is the one I'm going to do first, and then I'm going to have like four different really heavy sports ones coming up on the other side. I want to play the Taylor Swift one for you guys starting off though, because the the cockiness attached to Roger Goodell in this answer is why I respect him as a commissioner. It's not as if I think he's the world's greatest commissioner. It's just that I think he knows in these moments that if you give Taylor Swift an inch as far as credit is concerned, he might take a mile. And I think that's got to be the big concern uh, when uh, coming up with his compliments, coming up with his praise, coming up with his anything. It's kind of like any time he does a deal with anybody, and this is not a deal he's got with Taylor Swift, but anytime he does a deal with anybody, then you got to, like, you got to, you got to intern, give a bunch of credit, and the intern then will, might cost you money down the line. He didn't want to do that. All right, this is Roger Goodell on Taylor Swift. Here we go. 
Listen, I, I think anybody in the society, um, when they're in a public position, are going to be subject to criticism. And uh, I think um, the idea that uh, this was in a script and this is pre-planned, uh, that's, that's just, it's nonsense. Uh, it's frankly not even worth talking about. We see two people who are really happy together, having fun together. Uh, I think that's wonderful. Uh, and I wish them well. They're both wonderful people. Um, the fact that, you know, they both are involved with football in some fashion through their relationship, that's great. We welcome that. I just love that he had to try to, like, deflect. And then at one point, uh, and we didn't have it in that clip, I guess he talked about Taylor a couple times. He had mentioned how Taylor is an entertainer, and entertainers like entertaining things. And, of course, Taylor Swift likes football because football is an entertaining product. And it was like, be less humble about the thing that you own. But I guess the thing that he has right now uh, also is the highest rated everything in football or everything in cable TV for the top, like, 100 different things in the past year. It's like 85 of them are football. So maybe he's got reason to go ahead and maybe boast the way that he does. All right, more from Roger Goodell. His thoughts on adding a Brazil game in there, when that happens, how it could affect the Browns. Another thing he touched on was gambling. Las Vegas is big this week with gambling, obviously, uh, and uh, gambling at the forefront of the NFL. The NFL did a weird thing. They just became in bed with all these different gambling partners, and it happened overnight. I'll explain why I think that is, and you'll hear more from the commissioner. It's overtime with Jonathan Biddle here with you on the fat. The off-season moves have just begun to Berea. The NFL awards are just around the bend. Trust Daryl Ryder, Andy Baskin, every step throughout the off-season during their podcast. It's always game day in Cleveland. Subscribe now, 923thefan.com, or you can find so on the Odyssey app. It is overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. Glad you guys can be with me here on The Fan. And I want to play some clips for you guys from Roger Goodell. So Roger spoke at the... Uh, he does like a press conference every single year. Typically, it's on Friday nights, and then it was moved to Wednesday night, and then it got moved to Monday night. And I don't know why he's doing that. I don't know what intention he has in doing that, but clearly, uh, everything he does is intentional. So I, I don't know why. And it, with the weird part, I feel bad for James Bridges, our guy tonight, because James James is cutting up Goodell audio, and then like Patrick Mahomes and everybody else is speaking today. And so he's got that, and then you got the Cavs, and it's just like a busy, busy night. This is the one night that the NFL offers up a bunch of audio from the Super Bowl week. So you get, like, Mahomes tonight, you're going to have Purdy tonight, all these guys tonight, and then you barely hear from them the rest of the week. They kind of lock it in, and so it just kind of... It's one of those weird things. I saw a clip earlier. It was like Patrick Mahomes saying he'd want Tyreek Hill on his fantasy football team. It used to be a really cool night. Because it used to be when the media got a chance to really interact with the players, but it used to be one big joke. It used to be when, like, Guillermo from Jimmy Kimmel would go in there and interview Tom Brady and ask him the dumbest questions imaginable. And they just kind of they kind of went away with all the fun and the nonsense of it all. It used to be pretty sweet. You used to have, that'd be like when Dave Portnoy from Barstool would go in there and then, like, try to ask really, really dumb questions to different players about, like, uh, cheating and things that you just can't find normal people asking. Because it's a lot of the, like, the faux media is there for the most part, right? You get a lot of the people that are, I don't know, like with E.T., like Entertainment Tonight. And then so they get on there and be like, hey, Travis, what do you make of Taylor Swift of the Grammys last night? And then he would say something stupid, and then people would love it, right? Like, that. that's what it used to be. Now it's kind of more serious, and it takes out a more 
I don't know, nitty-gritty football approach to it all. So we got some nitty-gritty football to discuss. So the first thing is something I'm just interested in in general. Uh, it's going to be about the gambling. Because Roger Goodell, I don't know how you could trust sports gambling right now. I understand it. But I also think the landscape has changed so much that I feel like Roger Goodell is right if he makes the suggestion that sports gambling is not what it was back in 1985, not what it was back in 1975. And this is in the same calendar year, or really same two calendar years, that you had Calvin Ridley get suspended. You had, uh, what, two players on the Lions. You had another player on the Titans. There's a lot of incidences, all things considered. By my count, you had seven players this last year. Seven. And you had as upwards of 16 players and coaches involved in gambling in some fashion, uh, some form or fashion and actually get reprimanded for it. That's not a tiny number. But I think the difference in people's mind now as opposed to what it was years ago, like when Pete Rose got in trouble, it was pretty obvious what happened. Pete Rose wasn't making a lot of money. And so this was a way to supplement the money that he was currently making. Sounded like a big deal. Athletes in the 70s didn't make as much as athletes of today. Bobby Wood Jr., the Royals, just signed a contract today. It was 11 years, $280 million. That's insane. And and I, I believe I heard an update earlier today. That was not even, It was like right at the edge of top 50 all-time in baseball history. The money's bonanza. It's bananas right now. Whether it's baseball, football, basketball, it's just on another level. And I, I think we've learned a couple different things. One, you can't be making any significant bet anywhere close to Vegas at all, or Vegas is going to mark it, they'll flag it, and they'll investigate it. I don't think people understand. You can't just make a $100,000 bet. You can't walk into a casino, make a $100,000 bet, and have nobody think, oh, wonder where he got the money to make that bet from. It just doesn't work that way in Vegas anymore. If I make a $100,000 bet in Vegas, people are investigating why I'm making a $100,000 bet. Where I came from, do I have a history of gambling? And if all of those answers are, I have no history of gambling, they don't know where I really came from, they're like, they're going to investigate the hell out of that. Who do you know? What do you know? And why is it that you're placing $100,000 on a random regular season Kings-Cavs game? That, these are the questions they would ask themselves. So you're never going to be able to make a substantial amount of money enough to go ahead and justify just blatant gambling on any sport that you're involved in. Not not what would offset the potential millions of dollars you can make by actually playing in the games or being employed by the teams that are playing in the games. So I, I'm pretty confident that the NFL, baseball, and the NBA, they've got this thing under control, and they do in such a way that is drastically different than what they did use, uh, than what they used to have it under control with. Again, 70s, 80s, they weren't making enough money. It's just the reality of it. They weren't making enough money. You, if you gambled $10,000 on a game... That was a lot of money. Now, these athletes these days, 10 grand's a lot to me and you. It's not a lot to them. All right, here's Goodell addressing the gambling as it's going to take on a, a different spotlight being in Vegas, the home of gambling. Well, I don't know. I, the first time I've heard that quote was when you just read it. Um, so I can't speak for Anna on that case. I certainly would ask her to uh, to be able to expand on that. But I think the, the harm is potentially to uh, two things, the game itself that we talked about before, the integrity of the game. We want to make sure it doesn't harm the game. That people, when they're watching an NFL game, they know the action on the field is genuine and without any outside influence, number one. And that's one, two, and three. I think the other one is, is the work that Anna spends an awful lot of time on, which is responsible gambling. 
Uh, we are the only league to do our own spots on responsible gambling to make sure our fans understand the dangers of irresponsible gambling. Uh, and we also ask our partners. And one of the things that we've worked with our partners, particularly in the gambling space, is what information, how can they help educate us and our fans? How can they give us information that will allow us to make sure we're treating our fans properly, giving them the opportunities to engage safely, responsibly, but also res- protect our game? Anybody watch these games and think, I, you think about the NFL scriptwriter because that's a joke. You don't think about the integrity of the game because anybody that could actually influence a game, quarterback, is making so much money, they could never possibly make enough in gambling to offset any chance that they would have in risking themselves in being out there and gambling on any of these games. You just can't do it. I don't know what that would number would like that number would be if you had, uh, let's say, a quarterback that was making vet men like a million dollars. Joe Flacco is a better example. Joe Flacco... Uh, what do you end up making with the Browns this last year? Not a lot, all things considered, relatively speaking, but it was not a lot for the final games that he played. Can he make that much gambling? Probably not. Because anytime you would make any bet upwards of a hundred grand, you're being flagged instantly and you're being connected right back to Joe Flacco in any sort of way. It's not like they have mom and pop investigators that would go and try to figure this stuff out. They have a lot of serious money involved. They, they investigate these things. They figure these things out. And they flag anybody that makes any sort of substantial bet. And if you win the bets, then even worse, then they'll just tell you, they'll limit your pay. They'll limit what you can do and, and what you can bet. See this all the time with really good sports gamblers. They make a lot of money from the casinos because it is a skill and some people have that skill. And then they just limit what they can end up betting. It just, it just in turn brings them down, brings down their limit. All right. Next up is, uh, Goodell, uh, playing in Brazil. Something announced today that actually could affect the Browns. Here we go. We are just incredibly enthusiastic about our growth on a global basis. Um, we are convinced we can be a global sport in the near future. Uh, our ownership has committed to uh, allow more games to be played on an annual basis, on a global basis. Uh, we are excited about the fans' reaction, our media partners. Uh, I think this is uh, a great opportunity for the league, and we are committed to making it a global sport. You mentioned Brazil. Brazil um, is new for us this year. Uh, we are incredibly excited. We're going to do it on our kickoff weekend, which is an unusual um, approach and different than we've ever done. We actually are going to play it on Friday night of our kickoff weekend. Uh, so we'll have Thursday night as our kickoff game. Friday night we'll come back from Brazil in Sao Paulo. The Philadelphia Eagles will be the host team in Sao Paulo. Um, and then we'll come back with Sunday night and Monday night and obviously a great uh, a good group of games on Sunday afternoon with our two partners. So um, we think this is giving us an ability to access more fans, not just here in the States, but on a global basis. And I think it's going to be a huge hit. We're excited. That means the Browns, according to Mary Kay Cabot's math, they have an 11% chance, which I find funny that Mary Kay Cabot did the percentages on it because she knows she's doing the percentages on whether or not she goes to Brazil for week one. 11%. The odds the Browns take on the Eagles in Brazil. I don't know if it's got enough cachet for week one, if we're being truthful. Because you got to have, I mean, week one is a, week one opening game like that is a massive deal. I don't know if they have enough cachet for Eagles Browns. I'm sorry. I just don't know. I don't know that we would provide as much as, let's say, like Eagles Cowboys or something, which would be, I mean, that's, 
You want to bring some eyeballs? That's what you do. You put Eagles, Cowboys in Brazil. But we are one step closer to my international week that I propose, and uh, it feels like no one's ever for it. it all the time. No one's ever for it. It's okay. We'll discuss it another time. I've done it here often enough. Uh, it's think about these 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 games though in other places. There the the more of them that are happening. The more odds, and it's only going to happen more and more each year, the higher odds we have of eventually getting my international week. Other note on that, remember when they did the Amazon Prime game on Black Friday? They had to make it at 3 o'clock because there is an NFL, there's a rule, it's a, it's a legit law, I should say, that you can't have Friday night games. The NFL cannot host a Friday night game because you can't host a game within 75 miles of a high school football game uh, being played. On uh, on Friday nights, it's a law they made in the '60s. It's a wild law, but it's still it's still truth. And so they had to air this Amazon Prime game at like three o'clock. If you go to Brazil or you go to London or you go to Australia or you go to China, you go somewhere that isn't America. Guess whose laws are no longer relevant? I would imagine we end up playing overseas on Friday nights as a thing in the future. All right, last one here: money and streaming for Goodell. Here we go. Well, this is developing platforms. Um, just to be clear, this is a developing a platform that a lot of consumers are on. A lot of uh, a lot of our fans are moving in that direction. Um, they're not just getting an NFL game; they're getting, uh, you know, a value in the sense of five ninety nine. I think it was for a month of the service, and they could get it for thirty dollars, twenty nine ninety nine for a year. That's that's entertainment. That's where that's where people are going, right? They're looking for those opportunities to expand on the amount of content they can they can acquire through these platforms. That's ultimately good for the consumers, but it's important for us to be on those platforms because that's where consumers are, particularly the younger demographic. And also, look, I know I'm out of Kansas City. I've had dreams of maybe working for the NFL Network one day, I'm but. I'm sorry. Well, I'm out of Kansas City, so I've had dreams of working for the NFL Network one day. But be that as it may, I know that you don't run the NFL media newsroom, but you do run the NFL, and they answer to you along with the 32 owners. Um, at this press conference, the NFL media newsroom still employs zero black managers, zero black copy editors, zero full-time black employees on the news desk, and your only full-time black employee, uh, Larry Campbell, passed away over the weekend. Now, Mr. Trotter, just Jim Trotter, who's not here, um, you know, for whatever reason, over the last years have asked you why that is the case. And for a league that has more than 60% African-Americans that play, that play the game, uh, and I know that you're a man of conscience, how does knowing this sit well with you, uh, you know, and after two years of being asked this question, why has it not been any change or any hires in that area? Well, I, I disagree completely with you. There hasn't been any change. Uh, I, I'm happy to get your data and share it with our people and make sure that we get an answer for you. I don't have all the data. I will tell you that the first time ever, 51% of our employees across the league, across the network, across all of our media platforms, not including players, are either people of color or women. First time ever. So progress is being made. And there are areas where we still need to work and we need, still need to improve, whether it's offensive assistance or maybe people in our media newsroom. We will continue to do that and make, a, make a significant progress as we have. All right. Good stuff right there. We come on back. I want to get to uh, a little tease for the fan focus, and then we'll get you off to the fan focus. This is uh, – I, I think we have Ken today. I, I always I, – I like – 
guessing who our, our fan-focused tease is from, even though I put him in earlier. All right, here we go. I'm not trying to be macabre. Like, there was that, that video a couple years ago of the guy who couldn't figure out whether to go in or go out. It was like a failing elevator, right. and he did not – you you either make one choice or the other. That's it. You can't be stuck in the middle, and he, he got stuck in the middle. All right, find out why Ken was speaking that way. Fan Focus next right here on The Fan. 